uh, follow the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that uh, we are almost done with the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been in this study for a while, and uh, there's 12 chapters in the book, so we're going to do chapter 11 today. It's a very short chapter, uh, 10 verses, and then we'll be in Ecclesiastes either one or two more weeks after today. But before we jump into our study, I did want to make one other announcement. Um, if, if you look around our church, you know our nursery is about to expand some more. Uh, baby Byro is coming and baby uh, Bright Hop is coming both very soon. And so uh, we're going to have some things going on for both those. But for right now, we're going to start taking up a collection for the Byros of clothes, diapers, whatever babies need that you want to bring. So we'll have a collection box out in the foyer next to the Welcome Center next Sunday. And you, if you feel led, bring a gift for the Byros and getting ready for the birth of that baby. And then we'll have another announcement about Heather uh, in another week or so. So uh, just keep that in mind as well. We're in Ecclesiastes 11 today. And uh, and I've titled today's sermon, uh, I kind of chuckled when Brother Brett asked me what the title of today's sermon was. I said, it's, it's, the sermon is titled Good Advice and Poor Advice. And I kind of laughed because that's kind of been the whole book so far in a way. Although even the poor advice is good advice for us if we look at it from the right perspective. But, uh, but today we want to we jump into uh, chapter 11. As we enter chapter 11, Solomon begins to summarize and, and, and starts, to, starts to wrap up his sermon. Remember, this was a message, not a sermon like that would be preached from a church, but a message that probably would have been shared at the gate of the city uh, where he had a group of people, as we talked about at the beginning of this, that would sit and listen. And, uh, and so he begins to wrap this thing up. And uh, with all the vanity and emptiness we have seen, uh, Solomon seeks uh, now to give uh, some hope, some helpful advice. And, and he does that to an extent, and uh, then he kind of falls back into his under-the-sun way of thinking. But uh, let's look at chapter 11, and, uh, uh, ver and uh, the first point today is sound advice given. Notice what he says. He says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. And so, um, so let's start there. He, the first part of this passage, he says, cast thy bread upon the waters. What is he talking about? Is he talking about taking a loaf of bread and throwing it out onto the pond? No, that's not what he's talking about. This, this is figurative speech here and is most likely most all commentators feel like it is discussing co the commerce of that day. A lot of the commerce in that day was, taken, had take, was taking place by shipping. Uh, matter of fact, you read, if you read about the wealth that came to Solomon's kingdom, you, you know that he sent ships out and they brought back great wealth. And, and so what he's talking about there when he says, cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days, he's talking about the fact that there needed to be patience in gathering. Patience in He says, you send the ship out. It may be gone for a long time before it returns, but hopefully eventually it returns, and it returns what? With a reward, with something that you had to patiently wait for. And, and, and you know, I think there, there's a lot of truth to that in life. Uh, we, we don't always have instant gratification in life. Now, a lot of times, we, that's what we want. <laughs> we want to do something and immediately receive the return of it. You know, we don't want to wait 40 years for our retirement to gain money so that when we actually retire, we actually have the money. 
No, we want something that returns to us immediately that we can use because, because we are impatient. And we don't want to wait for that to take place sometimes. And, uh, and, and, you know, and these are lessons we have to learn when it comes to just the practical areas of life. Um, but it's also lessons that we have to learn when it comes to spiritual aspects of life. There are a lot of things we may do on this earth that are not rewarded on this earth. That those rewards come someday in eternity. Now, we don't do them just for the reward, but the Apostle Paul reminds us there's no problem in working for that reward, in doing things in service to the Lord to someday receive a reward for it. If you have your Bibles, turn over just for a moment to Hebrews 6. Uh, Hebrews 6, just for a minute today, and Hebrews 6, uh, starting in verse 9, it says, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. What is he saying? He's saying there's something to come. There's something down the road that you can inherit, but you're not to that point yet. You've got to wait for it. You've got to be patient for it. We, under, we understand that concept just a little bit further in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He talks about running a race. You don't get the reward at the beginning of the race. I think of somebody who runs a marathon. There's a lot of time between the start of the race and the reward for the race down here. There's a lot of time in between, a lot of agonizing time in between. A lot of time where a runner's body goes through who knows what, that's why I don't run, by the way. <laughs> just, uh, just as a side note, uh, besides that, it wouldn't be pretty to watch. But, but, I, you know, but there's a lot of agony, right, that goes on from the start of the race to the end of the race. But that's where the reward comes. And, and, and so, though Solomon is most likely referring to commerce here and the gaining of wealth, the gaining of, of riches, there's a principle in there that, that listen, work we do for the Lord is not always immediately rewarded. The reward comes later. The reward comes when we receive crowns that the Bible tells us we can cast at his feet. That's when the reward comes. We don't get rewarded for everything on this earth. I, I, think, I think of people that, that, you know, just people that, just so unsuspecting people, ladies that spend hours on their knees in prayer, praying for their church, praying for their pastor, pay, praying for people to be saved. They don't get a reward here on this earth. Nobody even probably knows what's going on but them. But someday, <laughs> someday think of the reward in heaven for that kind of life. A life spent in prayer for others, lifting others up when nobody even knew it was happening. And so, and so Solomon's advice here, though probably towards commerce, is sound advice for us. Listen, we should work for the Lord 
not expecting the reward here, but looking forward to it in eternity. And that's sound advice. That's good advice for us. And then notice what he says. He says, going back to our passages in Ecclesiastes, he says this, he says, Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. What's he talking about? A portion for seven and a portion for eight. He's teaching us about generosity. He's saying, listen, be generous. Why? He tells us why. Because thou knowest not what evil shall be about. You don't know what the next day is going to bring. Maybe the next day is going to bring a time where you need somebody else's generosity. Maybe there's a time frame where you're going to need that generosity. So he says, listen, give a portion. Help those in need. And listen, we can take that two ways in this life, folks. We can take, there, are, there are some times where people just need, uh, they have a financial need. They need some help financially. And we can, we can do that in legitimate circumstances where somebody has a financial need. We can help with that. But there are other needs in life that aren't financial. There are spiritual needs in people's lives. There are people that need us sometimes to put our arm around somebody's shoulder and just be silent and let them speak. There are times when somebody needs to be lifted up in prayer. There are times when somebody just needs to be encouraged because they're going through a discouraging time. There, there, there are all different ways in this world that we can give a portion, give something of ourselves to others because there are people in need. You know, as Christians, we have a history of, of being some of the most helpful people in the world. We really do. There are Christian organizations all over this world that help in unbelievable ways in the community, on the national scene, even on the international scene. And quite honestly, folks, that's how it should be. <laughs> we should be the most helpful people in the world because we have been blessed by God with, with nothing else, eternal life someday if we're saved. And because of that, because of the gift that we've been given, we should be willing to give. And I know a lot of you do do that, and you help in various ways. We give towards missions. So what? That other people can go out here in places in this world that you and I can't go to, and what? Spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that are in need. But, but, but Solomon's point is here is listen, you, you need to be willing to be generous. And, uh, and, it, and it's, it's good advice. Here's another bit of good advice that he gives. Generosity. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and starting in verse 7, it says this, uh, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. What is he saying in this passage? He's saying, listen, he, he said, what you sow is what you're going to reap. If you sow a life of never being generous to anybody, of never being helpful to anybody, of never being the person that somebody can go to when they have a need, you're going to sow, you're going to reap that exact same thing. That's what he's saying. You're going to reap people that aren't willing to help you when you have your time of need, that aren't willing to encourage you when you have your time of need. But he's saying, listen, we should help those in need. He says, especially in the household of faith, within our brothers and sisters in Christ, but not limited to just our brothers and sisters in Christ, but especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sound advice.
that he gives here in this passage. That takes us down to verse 3. He says, If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. So now comes some practical advice. He says there are things that we cannot control. We don't control the rain. I'm sure yesterday in the middle of the afternoon, Spotsylvania County wished they controlled the rain because their entire Stars and Stripes celebration got completely rained out for about two and a half, three hours before it picked up again and had lost most of its crowd by then and most of its vendors by then because that storm that came through. That we don't control the rain. And so Solomon's advice, he's telling us, he says, Look, there are things that are out of your control. You don't control the rain. We don't control these things. We don't control where the tree falls, the tree falling in the woods. We don't control that. And, and, and so Solomon is giving this advice. Now, it's interesting advice because Solomon has spent 10 chapters trying to control every aspect of his life so that he could be happy. And now he comes to this and he says, listen, there are things that are out of your control. Well, folks, that's just true. That's just true. There are things that are out of our control. Now, listen, there are things that we can control and that we make mistakes with sometimes. That happens, too, when we can control things. But there are some things we just cannot control. You didn't control what family you were born into. You had no control of that. You had no say-so. God didn't do an interview first and said, now, I'm going to have you be a baby. Whose, whose womb would you like to be a baby in? That didn't happen, right? It was out, that's preposterous. It was outside of your control. So because you couldn't control what family you were born into, you didn't get to control the family dynamics that you were born into, right? You didn't control whether your parents made good money or didn't make good money. Lived on this side of the tracks, as the saying goes, or this side. You didn't get to control those things. They were outside of your control. And so Solomon is saying, listen, there are things that are outside of our control. And so because they're outside of our control, we should not waste our energy trying to fix it or adjust it or lose sleep over it. How much time do we lose in life fretting and worrying about things that are outside our control? Oh my goodness, the hours would be countless. I've been very stressed the last few weeks with everything going on. It's just a busy time of the year for me with mowing season. And this mowing season has been real heavy. And then Marion passing away and trying to deal with all her stuff and dealing with church stuff. And it's just been, I've, I felt very overwhelmed. And I was, I was, I was expressing that in the car with, with one of my daughters the other day. And my daughter said, Dad, you know that out of 10 things you worry about, only one of them is worth worrying about. Nine aren't. And she's right. I didn't like that she was right because, because I was fretting, I was worrying. But she was right. It's true, isn't it? We worry about things we never need to worry about, but yet we worry about them. We get frustrated about them. We lose sleep about them. They affect our life day in and day out because we fret over them. And, and, and Solomon's point is here is this. There, there are things you just can't control. So don't try to control them. Then he notes some things we can control. Notice what he says. He says, um, 
in verse, I'm sorry, in verse, at the end of verse 3, he says, if the, well, in the middle of verse 3, he says, uh, the, the tree that falls toward the south or towards the north in the place where the tree falleth, there it will be. Then he says this, verse 4, he that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. So now he's talking about things we can control. When do I go sow the crop? Or reap the crop, harvest the crop. When do I go do that? When do I plant the crop? Do I can look at the weather and decide whether I should be harvesting the crop right now. Right? I mean, that's what farmers do, right? They harvest when the time is right. They watch the weather. They watch the crop. They wait till it's, till it's ready to be harvested, and then they harvest the crop. So Solomon's saying, listen, there are things you can't control, and so you need to let those things go. And then he says, there's things you can control, and so you need to control the things you can control. You need to determine when it's the time to sow. You need to determine when it's the time to harvest, to bring in the crop, those types of things. And that's his point. Good practical advice. It's advice that deals with discernment. You know, discernment is a word we don't hear a lot in this day and age. It really isn't. And part of the reason we don't hear it a lot in this day and age is because most people have zero discernment in this day and age. But as believers, as Christians, God expects us, as we go through the process of sanctification in our life, as we grow in, in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we should be growing in discernment. We should be able to look at something, look at a situation, and determine, is this right or is this wrong? And, and I would venture to say this, and I don't think it's a poorly said statement, if more people that sat in church on Sunday mornings had discernment and looked at situations said, is this right or is this wrong, and had discernment to stay away from what's wrong and do that which is right, our nation would be in a whole different place right now. Because God puts the, the well-being, the health of the nation squarely on the shoulders of people who believe in him. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then will I what? Hear from heaven and heal their land. He doesn't say if all the unbelievers would do this and do that and do this or do that, then I will hear from heaven. No, he says if my people, which are called by my name, that's us Christians, called by his name, if we'll humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, then he's going to hear and heal our land. So see, folks, discernment, it's on us. It's, it's not on the, all the unbelievers. Now listen, the unbelievers have things they need to decide in their life too, which would be following Christ and trusting him. But we have decisions to make that affect the nation. What do we do as Christians? How do we live as Christians? What discernment do we have as Christians? And, and we need to understand that. Malachi 3 and verse 18 says, Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. <laughs> the passage says, listen, you need to go and, and you need to discern this. You need to discern who is following God and who is not following God. Because let me tell you, folks, there's a lot of people out here today that say they're following God that are not following God. They're in pulpits today saying they're following God, and they are not following this book. They are preaching a different gospel. 
They are preaching something different today. And so whose responsibility is it to determine that? It's yours. And it's mine. He says, you need to discern. You need to recognize good and you need to recognize evil. That's what we're told to do. That's what you should be doing. Every Sunday morning when I'm up here preaching, is what Pastor Big's preaching, is it scriptural or is he making up his own narrative as he goes? And if I'm making up my own narrative as I go, please throw me out of the church, okay? Get yourself a pastor who won't make up his own narrative as he goes. What I need to be doing as a pastor is preaching what this book says and not being afraid to preach it. And that's where, that's where we learn discernment, to look and to listen and say, is this scriptural, biblical, or is it not biblical? You know, we can, we can <laughs> this is not even in my sermon, we can solve the ills of society today if we just figured out what is biblical and what is not biblical and follow what is biblical. You realize that? Broken families, we can fix that. We can fix the ills of society today in this book if we choose to follow it, if we look in this book and learn from it. That takes us to point number two today. So point number one today is sound advice given. Point number two, uh, I'm calling man's limitations. Man's limitations. Look at verse five. It says, as thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. Wow. This, he's really giving us some smart thinking now. He says, listen, there are things that man cannot understand. He says, you don't understand how the Holy Spirit works. You can't understand that. He says, you can't understand how a baby grows in a mother's womb. Now, we understand more of that these days than we did when the Bible was written. But, but the saying is basically true. I mean, the, the miracle that that is for a baby to grow in a womb, it's beyond our understanding because it's God's phenomenal creation. And then he says, you, you don't understand the works of God. And he adds, who made it all? <laughs> I mean, he says, you don't understand. You can't understand these things. You're, you're limited. Why? Because we are not God, contrary to what some of the world wants us to believe. And so our mind is limited in what it can grasp. Listen, we understand some things about God, but there are things about God we just don't have a clue about. There are things about, I mean, folks, I'm telling you, when we get to heaven, we are going to be amazed at things about God that we're going to learn that we don't know about now. We are. I'm amazed even at the things we do know about God. But we're going to really be amazed when we find out things we didn't know. And so, so Solomon is, is slowly, in this part of the passage, he's working out of his under-the-sun thinking, and he's reasoning some things about God. And he's saying, listen, we, we just don't have the capacity to understand these things. That's what he's saying, and he's right. He's right. He's finally getting a focus on God and, and, and Guzik, in his commentary, he says this, he brings us to a place of humility and submission to God and his works. In other words, what Solomon is doing in these, this passage part right here is he's recognizing that man is in a lower position than God and he can't understand all this up here. He just can't. That's why God says, my ways are not your ways. 
right? Because we can't understand it all. We can't grasp it all, but God can. And so we want to understand that. Turn over for just a moment into Isaiah, Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, and starting in verse 6 this morning, it says this. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And here's the passage. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, folks, we need to get a grasp of what Solomon is saying in this verse, and we need to understand we just don't think like God, and we can't. And so we need to understand that. And Solomon, in this particular part of the passage, was understanding that, that, that we just can't think that way. Notice what he says. He says, uh, he says and as thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thy hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Man's providence is limited. In, in, in the morning, so. Uh, in the evening, withhold not thy hand. Work while we can work. That's what he's saying. Work when it's time to work. Don't be lazy. We find many passages in the scripture that talk about not being lazy. God expects, if a man's going to eat, he ought to work. And, uh, and there's principles that go along with that all throughout the Scripture. Uh, we see the passage in, uh, in uh, Proverbs um, that talks, is it Proverbs? Yeah, in Proverbs that talks about, you know, looking at the ant and, uh, and, and, and studying how an ant works. I don't know if you've ever watched ants work. I mean, it's incredible, you know, the things you'll see them carrying and, uh, and taking back and moving and things like that. And, uh, and it's pretty incredible to watch. But the, there's another principle at work there. When he's talking about working, we often associate work with what? Physical labor, physical work. We work for a living, right? We work to earn a paycheck. What about work for God? Work while you can work. Work for God while you're able to work for God. See, I think sometimes we, we associate all these things, uh, you know, with just physical labor, but, but there's a work for the Lord as well. And so what Solomon tells us to do, he's telling us to not be lazy in our work for the Lord. Not put off what we can do now in our work for the Lord. I've heard many people over the years say things like, I'll, I'll teach a Sunday school class when, I'll get more involved in the church when, I'll do this when, it's always, some, it's always some, something put off down the road. I'm, I'm going to do something for the Lord over here somewhere. But you're not guaranteed to get over there. So when should the work for the Lord be done? It should be done now. It should be done right now. While you can work. While you're available to work. We should work for the Lord. Don't put off what we could be doing now. Listen, and I'll be the first to tell you, don't put off work for the Lord because you don't think you're qualified to work for the Lord. Because I'm a testimony of that. We need to work for the Lord in what he calls us to do. If he calls you to do it, he's going to equip you to do it. 
Listen, if you're sitting out here today and God says to you, you need to be teaching a Sunday school class, and your first thought is, oh my, not me. <laughs> I'm, not, I, I'm not prepared to work with little kids or work with this group or that group. And, and, but that's what God's calling you to do. Listen, if he truly is calling you to do it, he's going to equip you to do it. But I, but I know that's the first thought on a lot of people's minds. It was the first thought on my mind. When I first started feeling like the Lord was calling me to preach, I'm like, not me. I don't like talking in front of people. I do not like being eyes looking at me while I'm giving a speech. And I can remember, oh boy, do I remember the first time I taught teenagers all the way back in Woodridge, Illinois. And I sat in the church class and I, I taught the teenagers one night. Oh, was it a mess? It was bad. And I had every word I said written on four by six cards and I just kept reading and flipping, reading and I mean, I, there was not one word said that night that was not written on a four by six card. I was that scared just talking to a small group of teenagers. But, but you know what? When God calls you to do something, he equips you to do it. And, and, and far too often... As Christians, I think we hear God calling and we say, okay, God, I'll do that when this, or I'll do that after this, or I'll do that in this time frame. And God's just calling and saying, do it now. Do it now. Work while you can work. Good advice by Solomon. Well, wow, we didn't get very far today. That's okay. So we're going to finish chapter 11 next week uh, because we still got several thoughts in chapter 11 and we'll get into chapter 12 as well. But we'll finish chapter 11 next week. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. We come to the end of the message today. Listen, for all the under the sun thinking Solomon has given us, he, he's got some good advice here at the beginning of chapter 11 if we would heed that advice and look at it from not just always a physical perspective, but a spiritual perspective. And that's how we need to be looking at things in life. So I don't know how the Lord may have spoken to you today, but uh, while Elizabeth plays this morning, uh, the altar's open. You can sit, kneel and pray at your, at your pew if you need to, and we'll wait just a moment today.